from Public Health Institute, welcome to the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast, a new podcast that highlights stories from the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program, a U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention funded program implemented by the Public Health Institute. Our fellows are guided by CDC Global Health experts and work on the front lines of global health, developing the technical and professional skills needed to make meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges. I'm your host, Whitney Hall, the program's administration and communications specialist. Today, our guest is Dr. Neetu Abad. Dr. Abad is a behavioral scientist for the Immunization Systems Branch at CDC headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia, and serves as a mentor for the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program. She has worked at CDC for over 10 years now and holds a PhD in social psychology. She discusses her path to global health and her work on vaccines as a behavioral scientist, from responding to the Ebola outbreak in West Africa years ago to her current work on the COVID-19 response with CDC in the U.S. now. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Bud. I'm really excited to have you and just to hear more about your work with CDC. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you. So what is your current role at CDC and how long have you worked with the agency? Well, thanks. Yeah, so I am a behavioral scientist and I am uh, currently in the global immunization division on the uh, demand for immunization team, which sits in the immunization systems branch. Um, So that's a lot of uh, words. Um, I have been at CDC since 2011. Um, I did my postdoc at CDC from 2011 to 2013, and I was in the division of HIV prevention. I was doing domestic work then, Um, and I was brought in on a fellowship called HIV Prevention in Communities of Color, um, and I was focusing on um, HIV uh, risk reduction and prevention behavior and primarily um, African American, Latino, and other communities of color um, in the U.S. And following that, I uh, took a position as a behavioral scientist in the division of STD prevention. Um, And I was there for a couple years and then the West Africa Ebola outbreak happened. And so I was doing behavioral science work um, in the outbreak and then kind of caught the bug for global health work. And so uh, then moved into this position on the demand for immunization team, working on demand for immunizations. Great. Uh, Well, I can't wait to hear more about that. It's really interesting. Um, What sparked your initial interest in public health or global health? And how did you get started in the field? Was it um, kind of something you always knew you wanted to do or more gradual? Yeah. So my path has been really unique. I think um, very interesting, certainly winding. I um, in college, I was a, a women's studies and English and psychology major. And I kind of knew that those were the three areas that I really wanted to get into. And I knew psychology was going to be part of my future. Uh, following graduation, I, I was looking for um, applied experiences doing applied psychology research. And I ended up working on a trauma-based intervention in the Cook County Jail System in Chicago. Um, and I, I was working with some professors at Northwestern and other places. And I just got this um, interest deep interest in public health and psychology and really what I have come to know now is behavioral science Um, but I knew that behavior change on a population level or in communities was a really important aspect of public health and I wanted to do more with that so um, I didn't really 
know that there were um, grad programs that you could do behavior change or um, kind of uh, behaviorally oriented research in public health. And so I went to psychology and I um, uh, got accepted to a doctorate program in social psychology and I did that for the next uh, six to seven years. Um, it was uh, it was a long time in graduate school, but I got my master's and I got uh, my PhD. My PhD dissertation research was funded by an NIH grant um, looking at uh, predictors of uh, risk behavior in um, different underserved communities around the area that I was studying in. And so I just really fell in love with public health and psychology and was looking for opportunities to get more deeply involved in public health following uh, my PhD. And that's how I landed at CDC in the postdoc program. And 10 years later, <laughs> I really haven't looked back. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like such a rich blend of, of experience. Um, and then how did you come to work at CDC. Was it through the fellowship? Maybe you can share a little bit more about how, you know, that opportunity came up. Yeah. So um, I was looking for, at the end of my doctor program, I was looking for opportunities to uh, merge my interest in public health and psychology. And I came across this fellowship listing on a listserv and it's really seemed very meant for me. It was about HIV prevention. It was in communities of color. It was using, you know, principles of psychology and other areas of social science. And so I just applied and I didn't know anyone at CDC. I didn't know really anything about CDC because my grad program was very academically focused. And so um, there wasn't a lot of emphasis on applied research or applied program work. Um, so I uh, ended up getting accepted and came to CDC. And at first it was a big culture shock for me just to be in a place that wasn't focused necessarily primarily on publications, you know, where we were talking about program and improvement of people's lives and health and the, the, the language was different. Certainly working for government was different than being an academic. Um, and at first it was a, it was a tough adjustment just to get used to the differences, but I really in that program, uh, which was through the division of HIV uh, and AIDS, uh, HIV prevention, I just really loved that focus on real issues and making an impact. And so towards the end of my fellowship, it became you know another choice of do I go to academ academia and follow that path again because I could have following a postdoc or do I stick with um, applied public health and trying to use my skills, um, you know, my, my psychology background and my interest in behavior change to continue to make a difference. And so I, that's what I did. I just um, found the, this great opportunity in the division of SCD prevention and worked with people I still call my friends and mentors. And uh, I'm really happy that I made that choice. It was a bit of a tough choice um, to kind of feel like I was maybe walking away from the academic path that I'd been trained for and to kind of really get in invested in applied work. But I think it's been a very rewarding choice. Great. Yeah. And you've been at CDC a while now. I know that you mentioned um, working on Ebola. Are there any field experiences in other countries or regions that stand out to you as highlights of your career so far? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, when I was working on the West Africa Ebola outbreak, um, I actually got started in, in it entirely uh, because of I was working on a call center. So I was working, um, they had set up these hotlines and we were taking calls from the public and, and also organizations and businesses that had a lot of questions about Ebola. It was a very tense time um, and there, were, there was a lot of anxiety um, 
we weren't sure. This was at the beginning of the outbreak. We didn't know um, how bad it was going to get, how widespread it was going to get. It felt like the whole world was on alert. And I learned a lot by taking those hotline calls, you know, working shifts from like 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., just taking calls and talking people through um, anxiety and fear and also just real keen interest in understanding Ebola and how they could protect themselves, et cetera, even though, you know, we didn't have, of course, cases here. And I realized that my hotline background and, and I had worked on different kinds of hotlines and domestic violence hotlines and et cetera. And I, I think that kind of um, stress management or directly just learning how to be empathetic and listening to people and hearing their concerns and making them feel heard was uh, really important for this work on the Ebola hotline. And I was starting to think that, you know, maybe there were other parts of the response that also could use... Um, some of that learned uh, lessons learned over different experiences that I'd, I'd had in um, my experiences with psychology interventions and research. And so uh, kind of over time, I ended up um, going to Sierra Leone and working on the Ebola response directly. And there, uh, we I sort of got involved with a, a research project that had a lot of programmatic implications. It was working with um, Ebola survivors and survivors of the disease who we were beginning to understand their um, their fluids, particularly um, uh, semen, you know, other kinds of fluids, had the potential of carrying enough viral load to be infectious. And that was new information. Um, we didn't know that survivors of, you know, hemorrhagic fevers, um, survivors of Ebola had the potential to um, continue to transmit sexually transmit Ebola after their, you know, in their convalescence. And that was brand new information to the scientific community and also brand new information to the Ebola survivors themselves. They were not expecting this. You know, they recovered from a deadly disease. They were expecting to resume life, not to be told that they had to practice risk reduction and testing of their fluids. So I sort of had this very unique background of having done um, sexual risk reduction uh, research and program, but also I was working on the Ebola response and on behavior change more broadly. And so um, it kind of <laughs> accumulated into me uh, spending a lot of time working on this issue and helping Ebola translate this very complicated changing scientific guidance to something that Ebola survivors could understand and act upon. Um, in the in the form of uh, prevention and, and risk reduction behaviors. Wow, yeah, I, I had no idea about that until I Googled you actually and found some of your publications about that. So it sounds like your psychology background has definitely been highly utilized as well. Um, kind of going off of that, are are there lessons that stand out in terms of you know what you've learned working in global health? Um, just in, you know, kind of like, a, I know that's a broad question, but any kind of lessons that from your field work or work at CDC? Well, it's interesting because I feel that the decade that I've spent in public health, that we have um, really seen so many examples and we're currently living through an example of how behavior change is absolutely critical to mitigation efforts for diseases, um, infectious or not. And um, that we need to understand better how people make decisions about the kinds of public health behavior they're going to engage in, the kind of um, guidance and advice they're going to listen to, and how that impacts uh, the course of, uh, of a disease trajectory. Um, I think we 
saw that really keenly with the West Africa Ebola outbreak, that a lot of the issues that we were experiencing then had to do with um, uh, communities that wanted to continue their burial practices or uh, their disbelief that uh, Ebola was real or, you know, some, some of those kind of that skepticism of um, what the scientific community was saying. The scientific community also was not uh, fully always transparent about what it was learning when it was learning it um, and the the changing nature of the Ebola um, the outbreak and the epidemic just became very difficult to communicate through so I think we learned a lot of lessons about communication but now of course with the COVID-19 pandemic we're seeing that on even a bigger scale um, a truly global pandemic the likes of which we've not seen in over a century and it comes down to now that we, we have these life-saving vaccines but we also need people to engage in mitigation measures and those um, types of that type of, of mass behavior change or getting people to understand and internalize guidance this is going to teach us lessons for decades to come in public health on how do we sort of handle um, behavior change and how do we incorporate behavior change techniques into our public health programming and guidance I'm very excited as a behavioral scientist because I feel that um, this is starting to get uh, a lot of recognition um, within the field of public health. And, and I'm, I, I am really excited about where we're going to go. Um, but I think there's a lot of work ahead of us. Well, your work is so important. So thank you for everything you're doing. I'm transitioning now more to the fellowship. Uh, you are a mentor for our fellows. Um, as a mentor to the PHICC Global Health Fellows, what qualities do you think help fellows make the most of their fellowship? So, um, you know, how do they contribute to your work or office division mission and goals? Uh, that's a great question because I've actually had a, a just a terrific experience really working within the, the PHI fellowship program. I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you. I, I'm really, I've been very impressed with the kind of support that PHI, uh, you know, provides to its fellows. I've also been lucky, lucky to work with a fantastic fellow. Um, and she, you know, from the moment of sort of joining uh, the fellowship has hit the ground running in a very fast paced environment. Um, you know, the global immunization division serves a lot of countries and it, we often kind of go from continent to continent in a single day, you know, with providing support. And um, the fellow that I work with has been uh, very, um, very open to learning and uh, also bringing her kind of perspective and experience to bear on diff different issues. So, um, you know, we kind of try to give as much overview and support when, when beginning a project, but, but there's a lot of sort of listening carefully in conversations, putting pieces together, being very organized, keeping track of a lot of moving pieces, um, just being that sort of support function. Um, and over time, you, you grow and gain expertise that you can use in um, different parts of, of the job. And you will get you know more and more responsibility as you demonstrate that you're sort of able to do that. Um, so I think just that willingness to kind of to learn different areas and be really open to um, participating in different parts of projects, some of which, you know, you may not have had experience with, it might be new to you, some of which may be, you know, part of your expertise. Um, but really being kind of along for the ride has made a very, very good um, mentor-mentee relationship in, in the fellowship. Um, and so that, that's something that I would definitely encourage others to follow.
Yeah. I mean, building off of that, are there any mentors you have had that have been especially influential in your career in public health? Yeah, you know, I actually think back to that experience that I had. So I started working um, at the, on the intervention in the Cook County Jail System when I was 21. I was pretty, pretty young, pretty new to such a um, uh, such an environment, you know, where you have so many different factors um, associated with equity and access to care and, um, you know, uh, kind of chronic issues such as substance abuse or um, kind of, uh, you know, just a, a host of issues that, that people are dealing with in that setting. And I just, you cannot disentangle the factors, you know, outside of the individual that affect behavior and life course, right? So if you are, um, if you're interacting with communities that have um, longstanding equity issues or have, you know, over time built mistrust of systems because they've been poorly served by systems, um, that there has been, a, a, you know, longstanding poverty or, or other concerns, that interacts with individual level factors, you know, such as um, your own kind of perceptions of, of your your environment. And that, that interacts and, and creates kind of the behavior that we see. So I think I was exposed really early through um, people who were much smarter than me and much more experienced in understanding these issues uh, very keenly. And I'm, I'm lucky to have had that experience because I think that it defined the rest of um, my career so far in terms of the kinds of experiences that I sought out. Um, moving into global, that's even on a more pronounced level. So you're, you know, you were, if you go to India, I've gone to Uzbekistan, I've gone, you know, I've worked in Ghana, Nigeria, like all these different places. And you see the, the, the kind of the power of context on people's lives. Um, but you also see a lot of commonalities. You see that people want good health for them and their children. They want access to care. Um, they, you know, wish to be heard. That's probably the most um, pronounced similarity that I've seen in all these different contexts I've worked in. People just want the systems that govern their lives to listen to them. And that's really my job is to kind of facilitate that linkage and the job of the, the people that I work with. So um, I guess it's a little bit of a winding answer, but, uh, but yes, I, I would say the mentors started really young, um, but I continue to find all kinds of mentors as I, you know, take on different experiences. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think especially that, you know, it's really interesting to hear you say that just people wanting to be heard. I mean, so, so important and such a valuable, you know, skill to master. Um, along that line, what technical skills do you think are the most important working in global health today? Also another great question. You know, I think um, the ability to truly um, listen and ask good questions, I think that's, uh, that's a really important skill because a lot of things, you'll get some things maybe in the form of a brief or in the form of a kind of a summary or, or something that, 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 you, that, that somebody tells you. But if you're able to follow up and ask critical questions and ask deeper questions, you can often get to a very interesting place of insight. Um, I also think that uh, sitting back when you're a guest in someone's culture, um, you know, or a guest in someone's country and listening maybe even more than you talk is also really valuable. Um, 
there will you'll be privy to all kinds of conversations and sometimes the conversations in between meetings are the most important um, so you may be officially talking about a subject but then you'll hear um, you know other kinds of insights coming from people that you work with or they're talking to each other or you're just getting you know getting a sense of it. so being very observant listening very carefully and taking it all in I mean the other part of it is um, you know, have fun in the places that you're working in. Uh, some of the most valuable and memorable experiences are when I've made, you know, good relationships with colleagues and have gotten to know them and their families and um, have visited different places in, in the countries that I'm working in. You know, a true immersion experience is really appreciating uh, the differences and the similarities in the places that you travel and work. Um, and, and I think very often we can get very tunnel visioned and just focus on work. Um, but it's those, it's those connections that you make that's really special about global health because you are a guest in someone else's country and culture and you do have expertise that they're looking for otherwise you wouldn't be there um, but uh, but to, but to be truly collaborative in that way can create some um, really beautiful working relationships and translate into better programming um, so uh, you know I would say I would say that um, in addition to of course all the other expertise the academic and the scientific expertise that you're building up is that um, sort of uh, difficult to describe, but that um, ability to kind of immerse yourself. Mm, great. Yeah, I, that sounds like a lot of soft skills that, that come into play and are so important. Um, do you have any advice to listeners who are eager to work in global health in terms of what has helped you to enter this field and succeed? I mean, you kind of answered that to some extent in the last question, but I'm just curious what other advice you have. You know, I would seek out opportunities to volunteer on um, projects. So there are all kinds of academic projects that are happening in global health that might need a research assistant or, um, you know, some kind of involvement. Um, and some of these opportunities are paid and some of them are volunteer. Um, but, it, you know, if, you, if you're able to connect with ongoing efforts with like a reputable program or research study, that can really be very helpful. Um, so I, I would think that that would be uh, the primary place that I'd recommend looking uh, for that kind of experience. Do you have any favorite public health trainings or resources uh, you recommend either for people with your educational background or those who are newer to public health? So, you know, with your expertise in vaccines, that could be resources for people interested in learning more about vaccines or whatever comes to mind. Yeah, you know, I, I think... Um, so I don't know of any particular resources on this sort of behavior change uh, lens, but I, I know that as we get, you know, as we're deep into this pandemic and as we're thinking about um, demand for vaccines and immunization uptake, that there's a lot of attention being paid to this topic right now. So there are webinars, there are um, all kinds of resources on the CDC website and other places that, that explain how you can become, you know, a vaccine ambassador. What is it that you can do in your communities to um, promote, uh, to promote vaccination? If you strongly believe in vaccine, how can you talk to other people in your social networks about vaccines? Um, so I guess there, there's that sort of on a human to human level. We all need it. We, right now we need everybody really to, to, to take up the cause of um, vaccine confidence or, or you know, talk about um, uh, vaccines in your networks. Um, and I and I think that there's just a, such a such a keen interest in public health right now. Um, 
at all levels. And so this this really, if in my opinion, has never been a better time to get into public health than now because people are understanding the, the value of strong public health systems at every level. So uh, maybe it, it means connecting in with your um, you know, your local health department and seeing what opportunities there are. Do they have webinars? Do they have, um, you know, Q and A's? Do they, what, what is it that they do to um, connect with the community? And can you uh, sort of connect in that way? Getting involved in a local level is even, um, uh, can be even more interesting than any other level because this is, these are the places that you live and work. So a lot of what's being discussed will be relevant for you. So, um, so I don't know if there are any specific resources, um, but I, would, I, I think this is a good time to explore that. Hmm, great. Yeah, there's, there's so much information out there and that can be both a blessing and really overwhelming. So <laughs> yeah. Um, well, great. Was there anything else that you, you wanted to add? Any other, you know, words of wisdom or, um, yeah, anything we didn't get to? No, I think that just anybody listening, um, like I said, this is a good time to get into public health and, um, uh, there's never been a more compelling time. So I'm really excited about the interest and enthusiasm. And, you know, if you, if you are particularly interested in behavior change, you know, feel free to, to contact me or, um, to talk to others who are doing something similar. Wonderful. Great. Yeah. And I know that you have, I mean, you have so many publications that are out there. I mean, just, I just Googled you and found so many. So, um, but is there a certain place that, that, um, you know, is best to find your work if people are interested? Um, I think that, you know, the ubiquitous Google tool is probably the best. Um, (laughs) I do, I think, have a profile still on my fellowship uh, website. They still kind of keep up with what I'm doing. And so there's that. Um, But uh, yeah, certainly I I think Google, but also, you you know, folks can email me. They can maybe get my email from you. And um, if there's there's deeper questions, I'm happy to, to answer or talk about them. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Bud. It was a real pleasure having you, and um, thank you again for everything you do on vaccines and especially COVID right now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, and thanks for having this really important topic. I appreciate it. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Nitu Abad, and all of you for tuning in to the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast. This podcast is a project of the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program, which is implemented by the Public Health Institute and its partner consortium of universities for global health for the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Please join us next time as we share more fellowship stories. To learn more about our program and see how we are making meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges, visit our website at phi-cdcfellows.org. If you enjoy the podcast, you can always subscribe or rate us and leave a review. We love to see those and it helps other listeners find the podcast. For questions, please email us at info at phi-cdcfellows.org. This podcast is produced by Whitney Hall. Thank you to Mike Sage, Christine Caraballo, Jasdeep Dulay, Natasha Alcas, Rora Michael, Christine Jolly, CDC Center for Global Health, PHI, and CGH.